Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I am your host, Matt Bellotti, and I am really excited today to dig in and talk through how growth has evolved over the last 10 plus years, how it will evolve in the coming years. And I am joined today by Will Wong, who is a VP of Lifecycle at Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. Will, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, Matt, great to be on the podcast. Absolutely. So I I connected with Will a couple weeks ago and saw his background. And it's a very storied background through all different aspects of growth, channels, tactics, different places, different business models and contexts. And we talked through what a good topic might be and really seems like he's kind of seen all the pieces of growth over the years. And and I figure we can dive in on, on what's the same, what's different, all that. So why don't I give, I'm going to give Will a little bit more time to intro himself uh, than other folks usually get on this podcast, because I think it is critical to the topic at hand. And then we'll go ahead and jump in. So Will, why don't you tell the folks a little bit more about your background? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So the quick intro is today I lead up the lifecycle team for Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. Uh, working specifically on uh, notifications and messaging to engage and re-engage uh, subscribers across all our streaming services around the world. And in specific instances, more recently, like even driving upsells. McGregor had a big fight this weekend. Unfortunately, he didn't win. But our team was really responsible for driving existing subscribers into purchasing that fight as well. I think before I got into this space, been in growth for professionally for 13 years, but started way before that. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, right in the middle of the dot-com boom. Built my first GeoCity site when I was 13. Built it on a Nintendo 64 cheat codes. And I just got hooked on the web counter back then. Changed the site design, add more content, get more traffic. When it was time to start a career, I was just lucky that growth, digital marketing, internet marketing was just the thing back in uh, 2007 when I entered the workforce. And just been really lucky with the amount of experience I've had. Uh, starting early on in SEO, really kind of understanding how that works directly with Ask.com. I was a search quality rater. It was my first job out of school. <laughs> Learned from the inside out how a search engine works, and therefore that led to SEO. Spent time at eBay on their SEM team, uh, one of the biggest spenders across paid search. Back around 2009, got to really kind of learn the ropes on Facebook ads at Bloomspot, a daily deal site uh, that was kind of competing with Groupon and Living Social back in the early 2010s. Uh, moved to a gaming company, uh, Rumble Games, really kind of at the heyday of Zynga and Farmville and all the notifications that you would get and really kind of understood how to drive K-Factor and viral growth through that means. Early days at Dropbox, uh, when they launched the business product, really kind of understanding SaaS. And then more recently at Disney, right in the middle of the streaming wars. And we're off to a great start with 86 billion plus in just a little bit over a year. That is super exciting and must be such a fun place to be and a fascinating place to work. Cool. So why don't why don't we just go ahead and dive right in? Something that we talked about a bit before we jumped on this podcast here was you mentioned that you feel like a lot of core growth tactics have gotten and will continue to be commoditized, which I thought was a really interesting way to put it. Can you tell us a bit more about what that means to you, like how you think about that and uh, and where you see this commoditization of growth tactics going? Yeah, yeah. So something I noticed, you know, when I began my career in the space, kind of like in the late 2000s, heading to early 2010s, everything was new. No one knew how things work. Platforms didn't even know where they would be, you know, and platforms I mean by Google's, Facebook's uh, of the world, because they were really just still growing at the time. And so a lot of the keys to growth in those early days is really just finding the inefficiencies in the market, 
finding out how a system works and really kind of building your acquisition or retention programs around that. You know, for SEO back in 07, it was as simple as if you want to rank for podcasts, not that podcasts were available then, you know, put podcasts in the title, put podcasts in, in the content of your page. It was as simple as that. You do that and you're almost guaranteed a top 10 spot because not too many people know how to do it. And nowadays, all the tactics are well documented. It's well shared. And, you know, an analogy I like to give is in the beginning, it starts with understanding inefficiencies and figuring out how to take advantage of it. And the example I like to give is like my favorite team, take a look at the Golden State Warriors. They drafted Steph Curry, they drafted Clay Thompson, best three point shooting backcourt. And it was a time where NBA players didn't really take threes. And just through that, and luckily actually drafting the two best three point shooters ever, <laughs> they ended up winning three championships. You fast forward to today, Three-point shooting is a commodity. You look at a player like Brooke Lopez, who's a seven-foot center. This guy didn't take a single three, or he didn't make a single three in the first five years of his career. Now half his shots is from the three-point line, which is insane because it's gone from, oh, hey, there's this inefficiency. People aren't taking enough threes in the NBA too. Oh, that's the thing that we need to go do. Let's go train everyone to go take threes. And if I think about growth... That's where things were kind of in the early days where channels were new, channels were still emerging. It wasn't really clear how to win and how to actually grow your product or find users for your product. So a lot of it was just testing new things, testing wacky ideas. But today, I think, you know, for any company I've worked with or have worked with, you can come up with all those ideas on the, on the whiteboard. Like the, the growth tactics themselves, in my opinion, have really become commoditized. And it's really about how you actually line up your team, line up your resources, uh, get the marketing, product, data, analytics, and tech orgs to all work together. So you can actually go down that list of commoditized tactics as quick as possible to figure out what the right portfolio is for your product. And one of the other things that you had brought up when we were talking through a topic was how when you think about Facebook and Facebook ads and other platforms that will probably follow suit. It used to be you have your own money and then you like completely figure out your own way to invest it in ads. But now it's much more so they're centralizing it and saying like, give us your money and then we will do it for you. How do you think about like how that shift is going to happen across all other channels and platforms? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in those like early days of Facebook, of Google and running ads on those systems, so much of the efficiencies and so much of like unlocking how to drop your CPA or increase your reach was, you know, from a search instance, how do you build your campaign structure? <laughs> how are you looking at negative keywords? How are you upping your quality score? You know, it's a lot of detailed minutiae where you just really have to tinker and tinker and tinker. And over time, you're going to see that in your overall performance and, and how you optimize your spend. To use a non-paid example, SEO is the same way. How do you structure your site? How do you list your XML site map? It was as basic as things like that. You know, how do you make it easier for crawlers to go through your site? And then even in the early days of Facebook, a lot of that was also how do you structure your audiences? How do you actually upload your own list to create the lookalikes? To, if you look at Facebook today, it's so much more about you just giving them a list of your best audiences and they will, through their algorithms and through their internal tools and not even give you so much control, help you find the customers. And so it's kind of shifted from you as the, the growth practitioner in terms of like cracking the code, in terms of figuring out how these platforms are built and how to take advantage of it to getting better understanding of your own data, your own customers, giving that data over to them and letting them 
letting them run run their magic, so to speak. It kind of takes a lot of the the challenge away, but it's also kind of like why I, I'm more and more believing that tactics themselves are moving more in this commoditized space. And a lot of it is really just shifted to you understanding who your best customers are, your ability to log and track the appropriate data so you can take advantage of these systems and the way they're they're moving towards. Yeah. And at that point, the efficiencies get tackled by the platform themselves, right? Presumably Facebook is taking all your money and investing it because they've just figured out their own inefficiencies by people finding them and exploiting them. And they're just saying, we could do this. We could just handle this. And so it gets exponentially harder to find those efficiencies on your own. Yeah, absolutely. And like another point to maybe think about too, and this might get a little bit overly meta on the first principle side of things, is that, and I've worked with a client on this, and I, I can't share the client's name, but it's a pretty big one, and they've grown pretty fast <laughs> over the past few years. But you know, when I first joined, they didn't have much of a, a big Facebook presence. They're a leading e-commerce brand. They're probably one of the top five traffic e-commerce sites today. And they could make search work, SEO work, but they couldn't quite make Facebook work. And one of the things that we've kind of understood after a little bit of research is that at the end of the day, they're targeting a customer that's female, but lives in the U.S., in a major city, high earning between ages of 25, 45. And the challenge that they ran into is that everyone is targeting that group. Like there are so many startups, DTC companies, big businesses, small businesses that target that same group. And because the system's now hey, upload your audience to Facebook and they will go find you your customer. One thing to keep in mind too is it's now a battle like who has the biggest LTV going after that same market. And this business had very low LTVs in terms of what their take rate was from their e-commerce site. And, you know, at the end of the day, we couldn't really afford more than like 4 or $5 a CPA or like uh, e-commerce purchase from someone who's female 25 to 45. If you take a look at any other service, they're targeting three times, four times, five times that amount and sometimes even more. And so a lot of it in terms of, well, how would you make Facebook work in this instance is, well, how do you actually drive more engagement? How do you actually drive more repeat purchases uh, in e-commerce site to increase your LTVs and therefore make this whole system work? One of the things that you had also mentioned, which I think ties into this whole efficiency thing and finding what works in, in the channel is that the first mover in a new channel is something that like consistently makes winners and being the first mover in a channel is absolutely critical. And that has been pretty consistent over the past decade plus in, in growth. Can you talk a little bit more about what you meant by that when we were talking about it? Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, if I were to draw off like um, the similar example is once everyone realizes that a channel is profitable or that you can drive growth there. And today, you know, that's going to be your, your Facebooks, your YouTubes, your Google searches, affiliate, things like that. It becomes a big battle of like who has more dollars to spend and those who have more dollars to spend on LTV. If you're in the instance where efficiency is important, you don't have a big budget, or you're just, you really kind of need a big driver that doesn't require a ton of resources, channels are always changing. It's going to hop between, it started out of home, and then it moved online. In the early days of online, it was all display ads, and then it became all SEO, and then it became all paid search, and then Facebook, and then mobile, and then so on and so forth, is that eyeballs continually to move to different platforms. And if you're able to invest early, try things, and even try things before tracking or 
uh, analyses is even there. A lot of the first movers tend to get the biggest advantages because it's completely greenfield and not a lot of people have figured it out. You want to uh, be the, the practitioner or the company that creates the case study, not following others. Because generally, if you're following a best practice that someone else already established, it's already really late in the game. And someone else is already taking a lot of the market. And if you were to jump in then, it comes down to who has the biggest wallet at that point. Do you think that there is a playbook where you can approach a new channel in a similarly methodical way and then that helps you crack it? Or do you think that all these new channels are just so fundamentally different from one another that you have to start at like brand new first principles? I definitely think there's, it's not always a new channel. I mean, I think a good point you bring up there is it's also really important to kind of reevaluate past assumptions because as time kind of goes on, some of the previous assumptions just don't hold true anymore. And all of a sudden, a previously inefficient channel all of a sudden works again. An example I can think of is when I worked at Oscar Health, they were one of the leading self-insured health insurance spaces right in the, uh, the launch of Obamacare. And two examples there of a brand new channel and us making an old channel work was that when the health exchanges launched, healthcare.gov for nationwide, and then if you take a look at the state-by-state exchanges, you know, for example, here in California, it's coveredcalifornia.ca, is that the health exchanges where an individual can go and find healthcare, that, that was basically like the app store. You know, when the Apple app store first launched, a ton of apps could launch, and that was a, a huge source for organic growth. A lot of Oscars signups came from that channel. What really surprised you is what one of our second largest growth channels were. And being one of our largest subscribers base being in New York, it was actually Subway ads. And at the time, no one would have thought that Subway ads would be a huge growth driver. But at that point, so many advertisers in the New York City subway system had left to move online that it was actually dirt cheap to buy out a train car or a full 10-car train. Because if you were taking the subway then, every single ad there was essentially DUI lawyers or clinical trials, so very sketchy companies <laughs> like looking for people to test certain early stage drugs. And if you go to New York City uh, subway, well, maybe not today, but maybe before the pandemic, every car is basically looks like the, the website of a VC's home portfolio page. And what we actually found in those first years is that a ton of our signups came in and or claimed that they came in through a subway ad. But as you went through year two of open enrollment, year three, year four, it became a best practice. More and more people started buying up. And actually by like our third or fourth year subway ads, we still ran them, but they were by far not as efficient as they were year one. So, you know, I think that's a good example of trying a new channel, healthcare.gov, when a new opportunity opens up, take advantage of it. And also reevaluating older channels too that have a good fit for what you're doing but also may become efficient because things have changed over time. It makes a lot of sense. It makes me think of TV advertising as an example of that, right? Like you just, one thing that you mentioned at the end there was that you could evaluate those old channels when something in it shifts, right? And over the past handful of years, we've seen such this such a massive shift in TV going to all these streaming services. And that fundamentally changes the way that you might want to think about advertising on it. Yeah, completely. And it's something definitely worth revisiting. I mean, I know out of home became a big thing over the past five years too. not subway that's alone, but like billboards, things like that, because you have to recognize when too many people write off a channel that that's an opportunity for an efficient way to grow your business. So shifting a bit away from tactics and more about 
growth philosophy and mindset. How consistent do you think the growth philosophy has been over the years? Like, has it always fundamentally been the same thing, right? Are people that are doing growth work on your teams today, are they thinking in the same way that they were thinking 10 years ago? Or are there just such fundamental shifts in the thought process around it? I mean, it's it certainly ebbs and flows. But one thing, you know, that I can say that's always been true is the good growth marketers know which tactics works, it works or works. And what I noticed is the, the really great growth marketers or growth product people or any type of growth practitioner, they know which tactics worked and they know why they worked. Because if you understand the why, the why stays true because the why represents why your customer, why the user, why that tactic even worked on that user. And that it will apply across different channels, different tactics, different products. And I, I think that part always kind of really holds true. I would say from like a team skill perspective, uh, this is my perspective, and I always think this will be true, is the best growth marketers and the best culture for growth success is to understand that growth isn't a marketing thing. It's not a product thing. It's not a data thing. It's all of the above. And the teams are able to kind of pull those different parts of the organization together and work seamlessly across those parts of the organization. They're going to be the most successful and they're going to find the most success. Thinking a little ahead, do you think that growth itself will end as a dedicated discipline? It's actually a really interesting question. And I've like talked to some colleagues about this and we like pontificate <laughs> about like where, where it could go. Because, and, and I, I can say this for myself too, it's in the kind of early days where I would call it like, you know, before growth became commoditized as it is now. If you get permission or pull an engineer aside or pull a little bit of test budget aside, a handful of wins will get you more engineering time or more budget. These days, what I've found that what's been really kind of missing in this space is really just more traditional management, managing up, managing across, managing down in terms of how you actually build the culture and actually align the organization to go drive growth. And I think one of the things today is it, it's the swing is away from tactics and into how do you actually align the organization? Right. It's going to be less about the independent actors. Like maybe back in the Dropbox days, it was more of, completely correct me if I'm wrong, but it was more of you have this team that's doing some really cool stuff and other people at the company are watching it and, and saying, wow, I can't believe they're pulling that stuff off. But now it's going to be shifting more towards a everyone is in the know, they understand it, and everyone thinks about the systems the same way. Yeah, 100%. And I could say, like, even from just leadership's teams, it's gone from how do you grow to how do you test faster and how do you do more things faster? And, you know, we've gotten to the part where people understand how growth loops work, they understand product market fit. It's really all about speed. If someone's listening and they're just getting started in their career and growth, maybe they're doing some growth marketing work or they're doing growth on a product team, they're thinking about how they want to view the future of their career in this space that is like 
weirdly different at every single company, right? I think product management was kind of like this 10 years ago where, and even still is like the title product manager generally means something pretty different in a lot of places and growth, I think even more so means a lot of different things in a lot of different places. What advice would you give to someone that's early on and thinking about how they're going to find their way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's maybe two pieces of advice uh, that I would give. uh, And and it's biased because I I think this is what's really kind of helped me along the way. Number one, always make sure you know how to access the data and get access to the data. And I would say for the past 10 plus years or so, um, there's been new systems and tools. But if you can write SQL, if you know how to use Looker or Tableau or whatever your company's BI system is, don't wait for someone else to tell you what's happening with the business. Learn how to get to the data and learn for yourself. Because most companies these days, they're going to have open access to anyone who knows how to access the data. And if you're working on growth, you're going to have access. So, you know, really kind of like spend the time to learn the core skills so you're, you're always in the know, not depend on another team or a dashboard to tell you what is going on. And I would say the second is interdisciplinary skills across the tech orgs, the data orgs, and the, the business slash marketing orgs are always going to be key. And so, you know, to really get ahead of that, understand how the other organizations work. You know, if you're in marketing, understand how sprint planning works from a product perspective. Understand what the tech stack is for the data org and things like that. You know, similarly, if you're in product management, it's going to go a long way to understand how does marketing work? How do they do user research? How do they allocate their marketing budget? How does targeting work across various paid and organic channels? So on and so forth. And so growth is going to continue to become more and more interdisciplinary, and it's not going to matter which org you are. It's going to be these three combined. I I can't urge enough. (laughs) Understand how all three stacks work. And, you know, you don't have to be an expert on it, but having a cursory knowledge, at least of the others, is going to be key. Do you think that the deep skill set in any given tactic is and will become less and less valuable? Or do you think that there will still be a really high value opportunity for someone that is like legitimately better than everyone else in the market on paid ads or anything like that. I would have to imagine based on what you were talking about earlier, the efficiencies are going to shrink. And so it's harder and harder to get there. So maybe it means that if you go really deep on SEO, and you build your career there for 10 years, and you can actually, you know, stand above the rest, you're more valuable than you would have been 10 years ago, because a lot of people were still operating on inefficiencies. How do you think about the deep skill set versus that broad range that you were talking about that you feel is valuable to get the exposure? But how do you think about the the career growth from for that type of role? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, because like, one of the biggest lessons I learned is, when I first started, when I started my career, digital marketing was this, was this new thing. You know, the, the key advertising or growth channels, they weren't, it wasn't even called growth back then yet. <laughs> you know, it was print and magazines and TV and radio spots. And everyone in that space just looked at anyone working on the digital side like, oh, that's cute. Call us when you become a much bigger business. And if you look at today, there's no one on the other side and everyone's completely shifted onto the digital side. And so with that said, I think it's definitely very important. And whoever's like the best at any given channel is always going to be critical to their company. Their skills are going to be critical to wherever they go, if they start their own thing or go to another company. But, you know, the one thing to kind of keep in mind is that you could be great at a channel, but if that channel does not become important or the channel just devolves or switches over to something else, 
you know, it, it's important to diversify your own skill set and not be tied at the fate of a single channel. You know, you see this in a lot of businesses today that completely grew on SEO. You know, you hear a lot, you're going to see and hear a lot of this in the news around Yelp's complaints, Airbnb's complaints, a lot of folks in the travel around how much they're dependent on Google for traffic. And as Google changes their algo, shifts more to paid ads, or shifts more to, you know, here's the answer right away, you don't even need to click to a site to go find an answer. Recognizing that the the channel itself could change, it's good to really kind of diversify out of that channel as well and just keep the core skills, but not be too married to a specific channel because things are going to keep changing. Yeah, I love that. So it's think about not only the new and evolving channels from a perspective of your company having success in them, but also you and your own career success by trying to see like what channels are coming down and how can I get ahead on that one and become an expert in that one before everyone else jumps on it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at some point you're having enough exposure in different tactics or methods or channels, patterns are going to start to emerge and those are going to be your core skills you're going to carry throughout wherever. I think when I started out uh, focusing more on SEO and SEM, I felt very knowledgeable in the space and I felt that I could have kept diving into that space. But having entered the search marketing space and having seen what just happened to the print and radio side of things, you know, an important lesson I learned is, hey, if there's a new channel, go learn it. You just never know when things changed and just keep, keep learning new things. Makes sense. Anything else that comes to mind that uh, maybe you wanted to talk through that we didn't have a chance to talk about yet? Maybe things that are have been clearly consistent or very different or any other thoughts about where like the, the function of growth is moving in the future? You know, I, I think the only thing I, w- I would just reiterate is that the great idea or the, the great growth tactic or case study about who really kind of scaled up from channel X, Y, or Z a couple of years from now. That idea right now sounds silly. So go learn Clubhouse, go learn TikTok. You know, I think Snap, there's still a lot of opportunity there. Not a lot of people really quite figure that out too. But in a couple of years, there's going to be a lot of channels or products or businesses that have really kind of grown by fig- being one of the first to figure out a TikTok or a Clubhouse. Makes sense. Those are very exciting platforms to watch. And uh, I, th- I agree that there's going to be some cool stuff that comes out of it. Well, Will, thank you so much for joining. I learned a bunch. I, I really appreciate your your insight here and your thought process and talking through all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So for all of you listening, as always, really appreciate you tuning in. I know you have so many other things you can do with your time, things you can watch, things you can listen to, all that. So super appreciate it. If you like this episode, we got a bunch more with a lot of really cool people on other topics. So hit that subscribe button, check them out. If you're a fan, leave a review. My email is always open to you. If you have any feedback or anything of the sort, it's matt at drift.com. Thank you once again, and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye.